Okay, there we go. What are you waiting for? Do it! Triple M. Did you watch Molly last night? There was a scene in it, this is the second part of the two-part miniseries, which was played by Ed Cavley, where Ed Cavley plays Gavin Wood on air on Eon FM, and Molly had pulled an all-nighter and then came into the studio and was very drunk. We thought we would get it direct from the horse's mouth. Gavin Wood's on the phone. He lives in Los Angeles now. Find out what really went down. Mr. Milgram. Seriously, everyone just calls me Mo. Good to talk to you, buddy. Have you had the chance to see any of it yet? Uh, yes, I saw part two last night. There's a lot of recreations. Some of them apparently aren't all that factually accurate. But where you appear, you're on the air, he comes in, he's pissed, he says one thing, you kick him out of the studio. Did that happen? I'll tell you what happened, the sequence of events. It'd been at the Chevron all night. I knew that because I left there at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was on the air at 5. So I'm on the air waiting for him to come in at 7 o'clock. I look down the hallway and he's walking down the hallway with Ziggy and he's got the bowling balls on his feet and the hat's on a little crooked and I've gone, oh no, it's going to be a long morning. Yep. In the portrayal, there's all these people there, you know, in the background, but there was only me and him and the receptionist and one news guy. That's all there was. I said, how are you? He said, oh, I've had a big night. I said, right, okay, straighten up. We're going on the air right now. We came out of the weather and I said, hi and welcome. It's Tuesday morning and with me, Ian Molly Meldrum. Good morning, Ian. How are you feeling? He said, I'm pissed. I hit the dump button. Of course, it cut back seven seconds. Yep. I went, oh, thank you. I went straight into an ad break. And then in the ad break, I said, Ian, you can't say that. You know, now, do you really want to go on the air? You know, because I was still in awe of him. You know, I, I, you know he's, a, he's a legend in my, in my mind and still is. You yeah. know? And I said, look, the option is you can go home and we'll do it again tomorrow. No, 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 lovey, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> he reassured me. I went, okay. So anyway, I said, right. I went back on the air and I went, take two. Ian Molly Meldrum, let's go. How are you feeling? He said, I'm still pissed. <laughs> and, and, of course, the seven-second delay didn't get enough seven seconds, and oh, we had no. to live with that. Well, all of a sudden, all the phones went. The hotline to the studio went. It was the chief executive, get him off the air. He's not allowed on the air, da 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 da, da. So I said, Ian, look, sorry, mate. Uh, that's all the heavies. He told me you can't go on the air. And then he kind of squinted his eyes and he looked at me and he said, well, you shouldn't have let me on the air. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, go home, right? The studios were up on the third floor at Eon FM. And so he goes down to the second floor where the boardroom is and there's a fridge in there. So he's gone down to get more booze, probably a couple of roadies, you know, for the trip home. Yeah. Anyway, the executives came in at nine o'clock in the morning, sat around the boardroom table discussing what they should do with the Molly and Gavin show. And Molly's appeared from underneath the table and said, are you talking about me? <laughs> he got another skinful and went down to the boardroom, fell asleep under the boardroom table. Any of us that's ever been on a junket with Molly knows that there's probably a lot more than they could have shown. Oh, and some, yes. The dress rehearsal was flat. There's an hour of kind of regrouping and then we'd go and shoot the show. So if the dress rehearsal was a little flat, uh, Shrimpton, Robbie Weeks, Grant Rule and Molly would orchestrate this fight. And it'd be a moving fight. They'd burst in one door of the VIP room, yelling and screaming at each other, saying things like, if JPY's not on the show, I'm not going to do it. You've got to do it. You're contracted to the ABC. They'd have this massive verbal fight. 
which would go all the way through the VIP room. And at any time, there'd be Joe Cocker, Tina Turner, all their entourages. Spike would ensue, go right through the VIP room and out through the other door, and the doors would slam, leaving everybody in the VIP room just totally shocked. That was good enough to vibe everybody up, and the show, when it was recorded, was the top show. He always had the passion. He always, and still has the passion, for Australian music. There is no one in Australia with his passion. That's why we all love him. Exactly. Gavin, really good to talk to you, mate. Oh, mate, I've been hearing so many good things about your radio show. Continued <laughs> success, Phil. Well, somebody's lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dave, how are you? Oh, good, Andrew. How are you, man? Good, man. Thanks for the email that you sent me. Oh, no, mate. It's just awesome to have you back on Triple M. I think last time I heard you was, like, probably back in 2010, maybe, and oh, you were doing something where you kept bringing up this information line of some, like, supermarket or yeah. a department store. Department store, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was three times I rang him because it was called the information department. He turned out to be the most popular person we had on the show. It was awesome, and um, he just kept asking like the most stupid questions. Yeah, you're in luck. I found it. I'll play it for you. Uh, legend, man. Good to have you back. Hello, information department. Yeah, hi, it's Phil at Triple M. Why did toasters always have a setting so high that they could actually burn the toast to, you know, like a really horrible crisp? Um, when nobody would eat that in the first place. Um, I'm sorry? Can you help me with that? The toaster setting's too high. Yeah. Um, do you want me to put you through to electrical? Okay, maybe you could tell me this. Uh, why do people always point to their wrist where they want to know the time? Why don't they point to their bum when they want to know where the toilet is? Are you, are you for real? Yeah, this is the information department. Yeah, this is an information department, but right. we, uh, we well, don't get information like that. If quizzes are quizzical, what are tests? Oh, this is a joke. Hello, information department. Yeah, hello. If corn is made from corn and vegetable oil is made from vegetables, what's baby oil made from? This is the same guy, isn't it? Yeah, you're the information department? Yeah, of course it's an information department. Can you say, stick it where the sun don't shine if you're on a nude beach? Uh, look, I'm not going to say anything to you. you. Why is a square meal served on round plates? Oh, look... Hello, information department. Why is it called a hamburger if it's made out of beef? That seems a bit Look, silly. What do, you, what do you want, really? If a mute was to swear, would his mother wash his hands with soap? I don't have time for this. Hello, information department. Why isn't there a mouse-flavoured cat food? Just stop ringing, will you? If a parsley farmer is sued, can they garnish his wages? What the hell are you on? Would a fly that loses its wings be called a walk? I don't want any more. Just stop ringing, will you? If a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or homeless? No. Hello, information department. Whose idea was it to put an S in the word lisp? Oh, whose idea was it for you to keep ringing me? Get away! What's the speed of darkness? What the hell are you on? Why is it that people say they slept like a baby when a baby wakes up every two hours? I mean, Look, that why seems don't I come ridiculous. I'm not going to ring you all the time and ignore you when you're at work. Tonight, Josh Homme. Mr. Inappropriate, please, could you do the introductions? Josh Homme's worked with Iggy Pop. Does he want to work with my pop? Poppy needs someone to change his underpants, and it's too gross for me to do it anymore. Right. You should see some of the things I found. No thanks. Anyway, here's Josh Homme. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Phil, 
I have Josh on the line. Please go ahead. Terrific. Thank you very much. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you going? This seemed like a bit of a top secret project. It seemed to land really quickly. Was there much preparation? We actually recorded it beginning a year ago, January. There was a lot of preparation in, in revealing the secret, you know? <laughs> yeah. Was it going to just be a single initially, or did you have the idea of putting out a whole album when you guys got together? In our first conversation, we really sort of laid out these kind of ground rules, and one of the main ones was that we wouldn't put a box around it. We would go record, and, and I think that's why keeping it a secret was such a good thing, because um, we didn't need to define it, we didn't need to explain it, and we weren't beholden to anybody. And I read that the ideas that you had were along the lines of the stuff that Iggy did with David Bowie as well, and The Idiot and Lust for Life. I think Iggy works wonderful in collaboration. I think those records are wonderful records because they're made with passion and excitement, and they're, they also didn't have a box around them. The inspiration from that is that we need to pursue our own path and chase down ideas we're passionate about and not try to emulate anything but be singular with what we're doing. The whole thing has a real punk feel to it as well, even from the album cover that reminded me a little bit of a 70s sort of punk look Ramones thing. And there's a real sort of sparse sound in the album as well. Was it recorded almost fairly live? Oh yeah, it was recorded completely live. We would be sort of running arrangements while he's working on lyrics and then when it felt like there was enough cool little details to go, we would just play it live and all in the same room and singing in the same room. You know, my production style allows for out-of-tune notes and mistakes to just exist. You know, I think as well, you know, Iggy's like a piece of art and really we're looking for a, the right frame for that. So I think allowing for some emptiness and some sparseness and it's almost like what is the minimum we can play to get the point across, you know? got Josh Homme on the phone. He's been working with Iggy Pop on the post-pop depression album. Josh, I really like the I don't know, the real rawness that you got in the studio there as well at Joshua Tree with this latest album. Yeah, I believe that that rawness is what sort of translates and 20 years from now still sounds great. And I don't think there's any need to... We're not trying to go for perfection. We're trying to go for classic. And I think... You know, nine times out of ten, the mistakes you make, you end up trying to play those live the rest of your life. Did he have any temptation to walk in the studio and do the raw power thing and just, you know, turn all the faders up? Actually, not at all. I I think because that is part of his history and Queen's is part of my history. Yeah. Early on in our first conversation, it was like, let's not try to make a rock record. Let's let it be content heavy. Because I think Iggy's 68, and I think that 68-year-old perspective is one that's not represented. In a way, that's the part of of this that's never been done. There's never been a record where an icon is looking back at his life and, and standing at a precipice that you and I are not at and sort of speaking from that place. And I think that that sort of sentiment requires a framework that's more delicate, more sparse, and isn't trying to cut your hair with volume. Was it almost a cathartic thing for Iggy? And Not that I imagine Iggy would ever want to be cathartic, but for him, was this almost an embodiment of looking back at where he's been? I think certainly that's an aspect of being 68. Yeah, um, sure. I also think that what people may not understand about Iggy is that the things that he's done in these moments that are really just the embodiment of taking a moment and being present there and doing what others couldn't and wouldn't. He's an intellectual guy. He's a very well-read guy. He's one of America's great poets. I think a lot of times people get fixated on that act instead of what it takes to, to do.
do that, you know? It's an intellectual move sometimes to cut yourself. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I think I read somewhere that he actually cut himself to say, look, no matter what you think you can do to hurt me, can be nothing compared to what I'm prepared to do to myself. Well, I mean, I understand this so well. No one hurts me more than I hurt myself. You can't hurt me more than I can. I understand the sentiment so well. I think that's what drew me to Iggy in the first place, is that willingness to do what you believe is right for that moment and yeah. tailor it for now, being present in the moment and having the willingness to lose. Even if that's what it calls for, that's what happens. And I think that's what has always been so fascinating about Iggy and that I felt a kinship with, too. You're going to go on tour. Will there be any of the Stooges or Iggy pop stuff, perhaps Stooges or Iggy song that you'd like to play, like I Want to Be a Dog or... Uh, 1969, stuff like that? Well, I think saying we're not going to play Stooges is probably plenty. Because there'll be someone down the front, you know? I want to be a dog! You'll Come just on, have to man. go ahead and for a ticket, mate. I, hopefully the tour will make its way to Australia as well. Last time you were here, of course, was on that awesome Nine Inch Nails tour, so we're really looking forward to seeing you back here as well, in some form. I really hope that we uh, get down there as well with this band. Cool. Josh Homme. You won't believe how many wrong numbers we get here at the radio station. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Michael. I'm going to see speak to Mr. Kim... Who are you after? Uh, Mrs. Kim. Is it a workplace you're looking for? Well, let's try another contact number, okay? Yeah, because you've called a radio station. No problem. Sorry about that. Do you want to hear some Swanee? <laughs> well, it's probably a wrong number. We'll try again. Okay, thanks. Hello, Triple M. I'm just calling to see how two rope rails we've got on order are going with you guys. Now, you wanted two, didn't you? Yes. Nylon or uh, string? Got a quote number if that helps. How long is a piece of string? Hello, who's that there? I went into my account and I said, look, can I have a card like a debit card? Because if I draw money out of the bank, I don't want to draw it from a credit card because you've got to pay interest. Sure. And I received my card and everything and I just logged onto my account to have a look and I've got, they've called it a pensioner advantage. Really? Well, before you go any further, you've called Triple M. Oh, I did it. You did? I didn't. I called 3350. No, you didn't. You called us. I'm telling you the truth. I don't believe you. Telling you the truth. Because if I was not Triple M and I was the bank, I'd be scooping money out of somebody's account into mine, just (laughs) quietly. (laughs) But that goes back to, and again, I've said this once, I'll say it a hundred times, whenever you ring a wrong number, somebody always answers the phone. Hello. You made it to me. Listen, um... I've been having a think about what you said, um, and I took out the DVD that you recommended last night. I watched um, Brokeback Mountain, and uh, yeah, okay, look, I'm up for it. Um, you know, it's not something I, I, I've ever done before, so you know, I'm, I'm in as long as you're gentle, and um, and we'll just take things after that. Is that okay? Mate, you've got the wrong number. Is hello, Dave? <laughs> Gazzo with a bit more goss. Apparently, Elton John and David Bowie didn't get on. No, they weren't. They fell out years ago. They started out as really good friends. They started going to gay clubs and then they drifted apart. And then I think Bowie was asked in an interview what he thought of Elton John. He said, well, he's rock and roll's token queen. Mm. And Elton didn't like that too much. 58-year-old Elton John said Bowie and I were not the best of friends at the end. I didn't think Elton John was 58. I would have put it more at 65. Oh, I, no, I don't think so. I think it must be a misquote, surely. I think that's a misquote. I once heard Elton described as a globe-straddling drug pig. By who? I can't remember, but I liked it. Okay. Elton says I wasn't David Bowie's cup of tea. I don't know if that's a euphemism or not. But he said he dignified the way he handled his death. Yeah, and 
I agree. It was a dignified death and it was art. So uh, biologist Chris is on the phone in the States at Folsom Prison in America, just outside of it. They found a tarantula, so they called it Johnny Cash. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. So, Chris, the Johnny Cash tarantula. It's perfect, right? There's nothing else that fit that spider besides that. Is it a poisonous one? Well, tarantulas in general, their venom's pretty mild compared to other venomous animals out there. But, uh, no, the ones in the U.S. Are, are particularly mild, and they're not really that aggressive or defensive at all. So they're pretty laid back. How big is it? About, you know, four to six inches in leg span. You know, tarantulas, they give off a, a rough appearance, this tough appearance, kind of like Johnny, you know I mean? People were scared of them back in the day. You've named some other spiders as well. There was the President Obama spider. It's like a tarantula. It's a trapdoor spider. Much smaller than like a Sydney funnel web. I think you had a trapdoor spider named after Bono from U2 as well, didn't you? That's right. That's a spider that when you catch it, it's always asking you for money for less privileged spiders. You know, it's important because it really can help grab the attention of the public and... It's one of our jobs is to not just do the research, but also inform people. And if we can get people interested in the biodiversity around them, then that's part of our job. And that's what we strive to do. I think Angelina Jolie was named after a trapdoor spider as well. Is that right? Yeah, yep. Traps the most attractive male of the species. They're usually unavailable. And then lures them into their web so that they can't get away. What's the most dangerous spider, do you reckon, in the world? It's tough. You know, I mean, it depends on what you mean. I mean, uh, the venom's pretty nasty on some of the funnel webs in Australia, but uh, some of the wandering spiders in South America are particularly pretty nasty because they have strong venom and they can be pretty cantankerous and uh, bite you relatively easily. And what about the biggest spider in the world? Big tarantula down in South America and Guiana and French Guiana, those areas that are... Those are the ones that are about the size of a dinner plate when they're big, <laughs> full-grown adults. That's the one that can bring down the elephant, right? <laughs> Maybe. There you go, the Johnny Cash spider. I was talking to Jackie Kazuki that works here, and she said that she's so freaked out by spiders that she had to climb on a chair once and call her mum. That's nothing. I told you about this, didn't I? I was on the Gold Coast, and a huge huntsman spider came up behind me, and so I emptied half a can of Baygon over it, and it turned completely white. And then I turned around and continued cooking, and some friends were in the dining room, and in the interim, uh, 10 minutes passed, and this thing, in its final dying moments, crawled across the floor, up my leg, and then as I went to bring them dinner plates, they freaked out, I freaked out, I've run outside, I've pulled off my jacket, and this white spider crawls out from underneath it in its dying moments. It had crawled across the floor, climbed up my back, was perched in the middle of my back. I don't know what the hell it meant to do to me, but I can tell you, it wasn't being friendly. Spider horror stories. What have you got? Why glorify the damn thing? And whenever you've got one in the house, and, you know, we live in an area where there's a lot of huntsmen, and it's always me that has to go after it. Mrs. Ugly's like, Okay, honey, I'll kill it. No, don't kill it! Oh, okay. I'll scoop it into a Tupperware container and try and find something to put over the top of it so it doesn't bite me. Yes, don't kill it. Hey, Abby, it wasn't you. It was your sister, right? Um, she was in the car with my dad in the passenger seat and a huge black huntsman crawled out of the seatbelt and crawled into her hair and across her face. How long was it sitting in her hair for? Um, it was in her hair for a while. I was looking at it, but I couldn't quite see what it was because I was in the back seat. Right. And next thing I know, she's screaming because it's crawling its way across her face. And did you go, calm down, it's okay, it's only a spider, we'll help you get it out. Or did you go, get the f***ing thing out of my face! Get the f*** out of my face!
I didn't quite get a chance to do anything because she was already halfway out of the car on the street. Remember, you're always only ever 10 feet away from a spider at most times in your life. <laughs> exactly. Peter, you're a grown man. What's wrong with you? Oh, plenty, actually. What happened? <laughs> well, actually, it happened to my brother. He lives in Queensland. His name is Francis. His coffee was tasting a little bit rank, and uh, he decided that there's got to be something wrong, so he's going to give the kettle a wash. Yeah. He emptied out the kettle and out plopped a Huntsman that was now bleached white and hairless. And in between dry retching, he was counting the legs, obviously. And that obviously must have been in there for a, a few days. Uh, long story short, um, he still drinks coffee, but he owns a glass kettle, and so do we all. Wow. That's like the carcass from the alien once they stabbed it and the acid juices came out. He said it was disgusting, and he said he was trying really hard not to throw up. Robert, what happened? Oh, mate, about five years old. Dad puts a big log on the old uh, wood fire in the lounge room, puts the half on, playing in front of it. Next thing, a wall of huntsmen came flying out of that fireplace all over me. How did you react to that? I just had to freeze. Dad said, freeze. Oh, (laughs) yeah, that's okay for him to say. It's not happening to him. I know, I know. (laughs) So, yeah, that was pretty traumatic. And, of course, that fact that, as I said before, you're only ever ten feet away from the spider. Somewhere near you. Peter Kane, Dogman Extraordinaire, is on the line from New York. How are you, Peter? I'm real good, Phil. How the f*** are you? I'm okay. It's good to talk to you. I believe you had a fire at your house. My raven took a shit. You know, you can't really control where the birds take a crap. And he crapped on, like, the extension cord. You know, I just started smelling. It wasn't shit. It was, you know, plastic burning. And I looked down, and my computer was sort of burning up. Yeah, same thing with Mrs. Ugly, except she manages to combine both that and online shopping at the same time. It's incredible. Mrs. Ugly will take a shit on an extension cord? As long as there's a bargain involved, yes. No shit. Let's get to the phone. Hang on. Sharon! Yes! Peter's here! I've got a five-year-old, Rotty. I got him from the RSPCA when he was about 12 months old. He's a beautiful dog. He's very well-mannered, but he gets very badly car sick. Okay. Um, I can't take him in the car anywhere with me, so I went out and bought a dog trailer, the type that the greyhounds use, the greyhound trainers, that works brilliantly, doesn't get sick in there, but he hates going in there, and it is such a battle. I've tried everything to get him in. I was just wondering if you had any ideas. Okay, so you're talking about a dog crate. Is that what you're talking about? It's like a box. You have to work with the dog before you're going to go on the ride, first of all. So take the kennel out of your car, put it on your lawn or put it in your house. And what you do is you have your dog on a leash and you just kind of push them in there real fast by saying the word kennel, right? As the dog is going through the door, say kennel and then pull the dog back out, pulling the dog at heel. And repeat this over and over again real fast. The dog catches on real quick. It turns it into a game. Do that. And the other thing that I would suggest, your dog's getting car sick. Make sure and don't feed the dog, you know, right before you no, go I on the car. I don't. No, I never do. And your dog should get used to this. Usually they get accustomed to it, but your dog is safer. That's how we dog trainers, we travel with our dogs is we put them in crates or some people call them kennels in the car. That it way nothing. It's a trailer. It's probably a two meter square trailer. What do you mean a trailer? Like you're pulling it behind your car? Yeah, that's right. Yes. 
quite frankly, I've never heard of anything like that used for a dog. You're describing something that's sort of used for a horse. Um, it's like a miniature horse fight, I suppose. All the, all the greyhound trainers use them. I'm not familiar with those, and I don't know if I've ever seen one of those other than like something at dog shows where it's like a big, giant semi full of dogs and they're in crates they're not in trailers but the basic rule of thumb is that if you want the dog to go in something you make the dog go in it i'll give it a go thank you very much well i hope i didn't bum her out try and keep the raven away from the electricals oh my god he could have burned down the building ravens is a pet i don't recommend them for everybody as i mentioned before i'm trying to get myself a little part-time work trying to make a little bit of extra money on the side personnel. Yeah, hi, it's Phil here at Triple M. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to get a little part-time work. I wonder if you can help me out. We are a recruitment agency. We have a lot of positions. It's fairly specific. It is for packing the tea into the bags. Um, tea bagging. Have you heard of it? Tea bagging? Yes. No, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Well, it's a fairly specialised uh, position. What would you say your key skills are? To be fairly flexible, I would imagine. Okay, flexible's good. Do you get many positions across your desk for uh, tea baggers? Not really, no. So you've had no tea baggers actually come in there? Look, to be honest with you, uh, no, this is the first time I've heard it. Right. But as I said, we, we try to help everyone out. Right. So, uh, I can't believe so you've never actually had a position for a tea bagger. No, no, but I'd be interested to, uh, to see what it involves. Mr. Inappropriate, please introduce our next guest. I've heard some cultures in the world brush their teeth using ash. I like to goggle my own urine. In the rubber room, it's Tim from Ash. Hey, Phil. How are you, man? I'm really well, yeah. I'm doing good in New York at the minute. The last time I saw you was that gig you did in Manchester, and then there was the after party, and we drank Sambucas. Oh, man, you know what? That was, and I caught the train back the next day. It was the worst (laughs) hangover to this day I've ever had. Yeah, oh, man. (laughs) We're a dangerous combination. So congratulations. You've gone back in. You've made a new album. What was the uh, intention of going back? Because I know you said at one stage, that's it. It's all over. Yeah, I I think just things didn't change quite the way that I thought they would. You know, whenever we first said we weren't going to do any more albums, it was around the time when downloads were really first taken over. And I thought, you know, that everyone would just be buying single tracks. Yeah. Then I guess streaming started to happen. And then I guess like vinyl came back as a strong thing. And, you know, we were just completely wrong about albums dying. Well, you did the A to Z singles tour. Yeah, 26 singles in one year. It's like you've just got this new lease of life. Cheers. We wanted to make something that, you know, sort of represented the buzzing live set. We were tapped into, you know, the old sound and I guess, you know, we did stuff like we played 1977, our first album in full for like our last Australian tour and, uh, Doing stuff like that sort of, you know, just brought us right back to our old sound. I imagine there was a little bit of trepidation initially when you released it, thinking, you know, has anybody still got an appetite for it? So it must have been great to be picked up straight away by Six Music and XFM. Oh, yeah, it was wicked, yeah. And and also, like, it's been cool how well it's gone down live, you know, amongst all the sort of, amongst all the old hits. Like, the stuff's really standing up, so it's brilliant. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Do you reckon you could come in and play a couple of tracks live as well here in the studio? Definitely, for sure. See you when you get here. We'll go to the pub. Yeah, look out. All right, cheers, everyone. Chat soon. All right, mate. You want to see Ash Moore Park, Sydney, Max Watts, Saturday, March 12th. Uh, the Corner Hotel, Richmond, on Friday, the 11th of March, so the night before. Wednesday, 16th of March, at the Trifford in Brisbane as well. 
Pam DeBars, do you know the name? She was uh, like one of the biggest groupies ever. She wrote and, and wears that on her sleeve as a, as a badge. Uh, Let's Spend the Night Together, that was one of the books. I think her most famous book was back in 1987. I'm with the band. She's on the phone. Great to talk to you, Pam. How old were you when you first became a groupie? I do my math. Somewhere around 16. Were you sort of interested in rock stars and that kind of lifestyle? Oh, definitely. Ever since the Beatles came out, I was interested in rock and roll. And at that time in Hollywood, the Sunset Strip was in full swing. It was a very enticing place for someone like me who wanted to be in that scene. And who were the rock stars in the picture at the time? Led Zeppelin, T-Rex. Almost anyone in Woodstock. Was there a hierarchy among the groupies? Not really at that time. There weren't a lot of groupies on the scene. There was a few of us. There was a slight hierarchy, but I wouldn't say so. Did you set your sights on anyone in particular? Of course, Led Zeppelin. Who did you end up uh, hooking up with? Well, initially with John Paul Jones. Um, He came and wanted to meet me one afternoon, and that was great. And and then I met Robert Plant, sort of an extension of the group, Roy Harper. Was it anything like the film Almost Famous, where they just traded the groupies from sort of one band to the other, sometimes, you know, just for a slab of beer or something? Well, it was definitely a revolving door. But I think Almost Famous was very sugar-coated. It wasn't quite as sweet as all of that. Okay, and after Led Zeppelin, which way did you go then? There was a lot of bands coming in and out of L.A. There was uh, The Pretty Things, Robin Trower, T-Rex, Ten Years After, Spirit. There was always bands on tour. Uh, What was the grapevine? How did it work? There were basically two clubs. There was the Whiskey A Go-Go and the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And uh, between those places, uh, you know, we knew everyone. It was a small town. Were there ever any problems with any of the rock stars being married? Oh, well, being very young, I fell in love with every, everyone. Yeah. But <laughs> um, we never really ran into the wives very often. But what happened on the road stayed on the road. And was there any one particular rock star that you really fell in love with? I would still have to go back to Led Zeppelin. They had the charisma. They were on top. Who had the biggest one? <laughs> the biggest one what? The biggest <laughs> <laughs> I'll never tell. Oh, come on. <laughs> You'll have to read the book. Okay, who was the lousiest in bed then? Can you do that? Oh, God. Um, no, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I think you do, but you just don't want to tell me. <laughs> and what about shows like Rock of Love? Because I don't know if you've seen... Uh, Brett Michaels, and he does, essentially, it's an opportunity for him to get his rocks off. I love watching them, but no. Yeah, and there's no class. What do you think about the modern rock stars now? Because when you go back to attitude that people like Jim Morrison had, do you think that many rock stars have got that now? I think a lot of them are copycats, and a lot of them are made up by record labels. It's not them creating their own persona. Uh, the creativity isn't what it used to be. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, you work out at the gym, you eat okay. You think you don't look too bad when you look at yourself in the mirror. And then you see a photo of yourself standing next to a seven-foot-tall rock star with leather trousers on and great hair and lots of jewellery. And you think to yourself, Christ, I have become my dad. 
Anyway, you can have a look at the Rubber Room Facebook page and the photo of me and Andrew Stockdale, if you like. So, you know the film Deadpool? It seems that everybody wants to be a superhero. Lucky there's a store in Brooklyn in America where you can get all the superhero gear you need. Let's get to Josh. What if I told you we can make you better? You're a fighter. We can give you abilities most men only dream of. So, Josh, what have you got in that store there in Brooklyn? Anything that a superhero would need. I mean, not everybody can be Batman. We're here to provide reasonably priced gadgets. Capes? Do you have those? Yes. And actually, in our physical store in Brooklyn, we have a cape tester that you can get on um, to see what you look like when you're flying right. before you actually buy the cape. What about insignias? Or is it up to you to sort of work in with your shop and find out your identity so that you can have an insignia that would go on the cape? Uh, we don't do insignias because we have a very small staff. <laughs> so, sure. Well, you know, uh, I guess it's up to the crime fighter himself. Yeah, it's more of a personalized thing. Okay, would you have something that Batman would have which will enable you to hook yourself up to another building? That Suction cups, the strong vacuum suction cups. And um, what about outfits? Capes and tights and masks and hoods and um, anything that somebody might want to wear. Section on your website called Invisibles. Can you tell me what that is? Catered towards kind of invisible powered superheroes. I think I'd want an invisible lasso. Yes, we are, haven't perfected that yet, but... Do you give me any ideas on how to fight crime, or is that... That's kind of a superhero by superhero basis. Our only requirements is that our ever-vigilant, ever-true fight for justice. Have you seen anybody pop in, though, who looks like they might be on the wrong side of the good versus evil battle, and you've knocked them <laughs> back based on just a hunch? Yeah, well, every once in a while you get somebody that looks a little shady. In our store, we do have a, a vow up um, before you are able to purchase anything. You have to recite the vow of heroism. To fight the forces of evil? Exactly. Can you get a copy of that once you've got it, once you've got your outfit and everything? Um, no, that's just something they recite. Would you give me an idea of perhaps what superpower I may have? Yeah, no, that's, again, your own thing. We just kind of help you. But do um, you have a superpower advisor? That is a good idea. We don't have any kind of advisor service. Do you think it would come with, once I put the uniform on, I'd suddenly go... It usually kind of comes to you once you've seen yourself in your outfit and you know how you look. What's your superhero setup, personally? If uh, it's not too much of a question. Uh, well, uh, for obvious reasons, I can't disclose that. Just give us an idea. I mean, I know you fight crime. I supply other superheroes. I'm, I'm not as much on the actual fighting side of things. Supplier man! <laughs> yes. In a way, you're kind of like Bruce Wayne's butler. Yeah, that's a pretty good description. Kind of, you know <laughs> what, you know, is in the know, but you keep it to yourself. But you know a lot of secrets. Oh, yeah. We get, we get some interesting emails from time to time. Right. Want to get yourself a superhero outfit? Go to the superhero store in Brooklyn. I've already got mine on. Yeah. Short, fat, stupid man. Found somebody who released an album whilst playing the nose flute. Are you familiar with the nose flute, Sammy X? Um, no, I'm not familiar with it, no, but I'm very interested. Well, as you can imagine, right, there's people playing the flute through their nose. I mean, it's pretty... What about if you've got a cold? I don't know. Do you want to hear the nose flute? Do and... I ever? Oh, of course you do. And you know what they're playing? What? <laughs> Frank Sinatra's My Way. Here we go. By the nose flute. It's an, an album. There's 12 tracks on it. I've got questions. Where, where can you start? Do you have to have a big nose to do no. this? What have you done now? You're just <laughs> taking the piss now. 
Well, you didn't like the photo, so I just made some changes to it. So you've taken my face and put it on Andrew Stockdale's face. <laughs> yeah, so you've essentially got his hair and body. <laughs> yeah, great. I do look kind of attractive with hair like that. Hello, information department. Yeah, hi, it's Phil from Triple M. Yes. Why can't you tickle yourself? Pardon? Why can't you tickle yourself? I mean, if you were to do it to yourself, it's, it, you know, anywhere. It's not ticklish. But if somebody did it to you, unbelievable. Why not? I'm sorry, sir. I, I can't really answer that. Um, if it's a question about appliances or um, some No, I'll tell you, I've got another question for you. Why isn't the number 11 pronounced 1T1? Are you the same person who rang up last year? If four out of five people suffer from diarrhoea, does that mean the fifth one actually enjoys it? This is a proper service. Like, we provide service to our customers. But if men evolved from monkeys and apes, then why do we still have monkeys and apes? No, look, I'm, I'm going to hang up. Hello, information department. Can you get cavities in your dentures from using too much artificial sweetener? Oh, look, it's you again. Look, stop it. Why do you call it an asteroid, right, when it's outside the hemisphere, but you call it a hemorrhoid when it's inside your ass? Who put you up to this? When you're sitting on the upstairs floor, does that mean you're sitting on the downstairs ceiling? Oh, I don't care where you're sitting. Hello, information department. If deaf people go to court, is it still called a hearing? Oh, listen, just just go away. Can you cry underwater? Cry because of you. If chickens had lips, could they whistle? Hello, information department. Can an oriental person become disoriented? This call is being monitored, you know. Really? Yes. My supervisor will hear all this. Why can we say the teacher taught, and then why can't we say the preacher prought? If you stay awake all night... Will you still have morning breath? Hello, information department. Can fat people go skinny dipping? Get out of here! How come cartoon characters never ever change their clothes? I don't want to hear your voice ever again! Can insects' eardrums burst if we get near to them? This is not the sort of service we provide! And that is the reason why God has made me short, fat, bald and impotent. Hey Andy, how are you, man? Yeah, look, I'm all right, Phil, but look, you've got to give warning, mate, when you're doing stuff that funny. I'm driving, I had to pull over and just listen to it. You've got to do that, mate. Just a safety thing, I think. Wayne, what's going on in your world? <laughs> mate, I'm just calling this to let you know that was a classic old in tears. I can't ring him me. again if that's what you want me to do. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Inappropriate, please do the honours. On a full moon, I'm hairy like a yellow-toothed beast, and I howl at the moon. But far more importantly, here's Wolf Mother in the rubber room. The other thing with, with being in a band, experiencing success and rising and the pressures of it, is that there's no one to tell you like what you're in for, you know? And so you were saying you worked with Cram from Spiderbait on this album. We collaborated on one of the songs. Oh, on, really? On, on this Gypsy Caravan. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Who else have you got on this album that I don't know about? That's the only collaboration on this one. Yeah. I did collaborate with uh, guys from a band called Cadaver in Berlin. Right, okay. Which is the Hindu meaning of some philosophical thing. It's so you've got some more backstage passes to add to the collection now. I got a few more. Yeah, got great. a few more. Excellent. <laughs> That was one of the best collections of backstage passes I've ever seen. Great song, by the way. Uh, I know there's oh, been, um, you know, we've had the 10th anniversary as well of the first album. And some people have said there are similarities to the sound and the feel of the first album. I guess you've heard that. Yeah, well, that's intentional. 
was looking to go back to the roots and explore that territory again. Although oh, yeah. I also thought there's a bit of a Who influence, I thought, as On well. On the middle eight, yeah. Yeah. It, it does. Initially, that middle eight was this Jamaican reggae thing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> It almost sounded like um, Lola, you know, the king. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Goes, the good, I sang like that. And then Brandon suggests, well, kind of did just hit the chords on a grand piano, and, and I changed my uh, vocal delivery and okay. changed the lyrics a bit. And I think he salvaged the song because it was pretty ridiculous. But, wow, okay. But when I'm writing, I try to do be as ridiculous as possible. Rain it back in. And then hone it back in. Yeah, yeah, of course. I believe you did a lot of this stuff on the drums as well, didn't you, initially, when you were demoing it? Yeah. Channeling your... Keith. Well, at least it wasn't Phil Collins. Mind you, what a great drummer, right? You were saying about working in the studio with the producers and the technicalities of that. God, they talk so much. God, they went into this technical talk for like four hours about tape one day in the studio, and they're like... If you reverse tape and the EXY2934 <laughs> tape put through the compressor thing, I was just like, this is a conversation that only five people could have in the world. Yeah. I have no idea what they're talking about. Whatever they did worked. And then I just write lyrics or think about the next step. Or, yeah. You know, that. I just try to, you get caught up in that stuff and you spend your life reading a manual. Well, dude, it's great to see you again. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing some of the live tracks as well. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here, Phil. Gazzo, apparently Billy Corgan was talking about the size of Marilyn Manson's todger. I think he's got a mound. <laughs> like Ken, you know the Barbie doll Ken? Have you ever been he's humped with a mound? A mound? <laughs> Can't say I have. Humped with a mound would be a fantastic miniseries. A mound, I have a mound. So getting back to Marilyn's mound, <laughs> apparently Billy Corgan said there wasn't that much to climb, am I right? Well, they would know. They've both uh, allegedly slept with Courtney Love. Oh, who hasn't? Have you? Tell her to stop ringing me. (laughs) She ain't nothing but a mound dog. (laughs) Getting back to Marilyn Manson's penis. Mound. Sorry. (laughs) Billy Corgan says it's bigger than yours when he was talking to the interviewer. Yeah, right. How did this even come up? I have not. So to speak. TNA wrestler Grado, or Grado, however you want to say it, interviewed Corgan and then jokingly says, uh, Billy, what size is Marilyn Manson's mound? Of course, he didn't use the word mound. No. No one's that stupid except for us. (laughs) The Smashing Pumpkins and Marilyn Manson toured North America together as part of the End of Times tour. They did a strange cover together of Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. It's horrible. Don't even put it on. It's the worst collaboration cover. I don't care what you want to call it. Worse than Metallica and Lou Reed's It's awful. It's just awful. Okay. Well, actually, it's in that basket, oh, really? okay. in the two awful basket. All right, well, let's have a bit of a listen to Billy Corgan talking no, about Manson's Mound. Mound. This is Grado here at Chassel. I'm live. I'm sitting here with Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins, and I've got a question that's been on my mind for quite some time. Billy, which size is Marlon Manson's? Um, well, it's bigger than yours. Well, that's a beautiful thing. It's <laughs> my word of the day, Mound. All right, calm down there. If you've ever got nothing to do and a bit of time on your hands, Go and have a look at some of the ads on Craigslist. We spoke to a girl from Craigslist the other day who wanted somebody to come to her house and look after her while you were dressed up as a cat. And tonight, the guy that wants someone to chase him down the street. Here's more weird stuff on Craigslist! Jonathan, how are you? I'm well, mate. How are you? So you want someone to chase you? Yes, I want to be chased. I, I, I love the thrill of being chased around inside, outside. Guy, girl, I just love the thrill of it. So it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, age, gender, doesn't matter, but they've got to be really fast. 
They're going to be really fast. So I'm imagining it's probably somebody a little bit younger. And no bike riding as well. You want it to be a, a realistic chase and you want it to last for a long time? Yep, no bike riding, no skateboards, nothing with wheels. You've got to use your feet and you've got to catch me. And you want it to be realistic and you want the person to be sweaty after the chase is over, otherwise they don't get paid. I, I don't want to touch them or anything, but I, just, I, I like the look of sweat uh, on the skin. It, it, yeah, it does special things to me. Okay. Is this a pervy? Special things. Well, I think I just answered my own question. Is this a pervy thing or is this an athletic thing? Listen, I, I just love the thrill of being chased. There's nothing weird about it. I just... No, of course not. Probably, probably comes across a little bit weird, but... Um, I'm actually simulating being chased as I speak to you on the phone, so I'm a bit short of breath. I just, you know, I'm pacing up and down in my my 12 by 4 um, um, studio apartment. Right. Uh, at the end of it, you want them to give you a high five. A high five, and I also you need to post on your Facebook account that you have caught me. So I want the world to know. Okay. All right. And yeah. how much are you paying them to do this? $75 for the first half hour. Jonathan, I, I got nothing. Thank you. Get in touch, folks. More weird stuff on Craigslist. Don't talk to me about a thirsty mug. My freaking Subaru is so cramped, I pulled a hammy the other night whilst dogging with the missus. Really? Here's thirsty mug in the rubber room. Hello, mate. How are you? Very good, thanks. How are you, Phil? I'm very excited to hear the new track, uh, the Back to the Grind Tour, which is going to be happening as well. This looks like you're going to go everywhere. Yeah, it's a slightly stepped up tour. Uh, there's less number of dates uh, than our previous tour, but there's some really primo venues on there. Yeah, and you're going regional as well, I think. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, key regional gigs in there as well. So yeah, Great. The Opera House gig, that looked fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a, that was a real, uh, you know, tell your mum about it. And, uh, you know, she was like, oh, my God, you got to play uh, in front of the Opera House on yeah. Australia Day. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real blast. It was great. And the time before that we spoke was the Benefit gig. What a fantastic turnout that day. Yeah, that was amazing. It was a very emotional night. Um, it was a beautiful, yeah, showcase of a lot of love from a lot of artists a lot of uh, a lot of music lovers and uh yeah a lot of people in the industry so yeah it was really really nice with this forthcoming tour you want to explore some new elements some different ways of doing this throwing in some hammond organs as well yeah well the new album is a bit of a return to our rock roots but you know we didn't want to do it all in the exact same way so there's always got to be some sort of creative evolution i think the album before this particular one was recorded in los angeles and you know albums that are recorded there you know have a sort of notorious la west coast yeah, yeah, sure, slickness yeah. and there's a whole a whole history of sort of music production from everyone yeah we went back to melbourne basically to record this album and it was uh, recorded with lindsey gravina who did prisoner of society by living end and uh, a lot of the magic dirt records and jet's first ep and a lot yeah. So it has that Melbourne, Rock City sort of vibe. So a few nights ago, um, I was lying at home and there was nothing on TV, which, as you know, is pretty much every night because it's always crap. So I, I found this talkback show and I called up the guy because I was just bored and he put me on the air. And then I found the next night, I rang him back and he put me on the air again. So I said to you, because you basically are the puppet masters and I'm your fool, I said, what shall I ring the guy up with and give me some scenarios and I'll see if I can get on the air again. And uh, lo and behold, 
I did. And coast to coast, Australia-wide. This is Sun Up Australia, oozing the Aussie pride. Greg Silverman, your host, and uh, we have another caller on the line, and it's good morning, Phil. Yeah, good morning, Greg. How are you? I rang you last week about the uh, people smoking cigarettes in my suburb and uh, the garbage collector who wouldn't wear gloves when he was picking up my bin. I don't know if you remember my call. Yeah, yeah, that certainly does ring a bell. Yep, so remember that one. Phil, how can we help you this morning? Because uh, I was walking around my suburb and there's a lot of dog poo on the ground. A lot of people aren't picking it up and I know that you're very much against oh, It gives that. me the bloody willies when I see that sort of thing. I see them out there. I mean, my wife Karen and I, we have a couple of Rottweilers, Freddie yep. and Prince, and uh, we are right. always with the plastic bag if we're down the park and I advise others, yes, absolute damn shame. So... They're letting them go willy-nilly across the footpath, are they? I knew you'd do that, Greg. I knew you'd be a good Australian. Here's what I'm thinking. Maybe we get unemployed people to pick up the dog poo and put it into a, some kind of a vat and we use it to grow medical marijuana. Yeah, well, uh, look, I'm having a little trouble following you firstly, though. I, I'm a big advocate for working for the doll. I don't see any reason yeah, yeah. why well, our hard tax-paying dollars should go and, and uh, yeah, I go and pick up and help clean up. Ma- medical marijuana. Medical marijuana. Um, I'm not sure about yeah. the marijuana, though, Phil. It's certainly okay, never well, what been... about, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Martian with Matt Damon. What about they put the dog poo in a container... Uh, and they grow potatoes. Yeah, fertilise. Yeah, and then they grow potatoes to feed the homeless. Yeah, well, listen, I'm all for helping to feed the homeless and uh, and getting the unemployed working again. Uh, uh, there, I don't know how the, uh, the help of the homeless people with the potato turd. Well, uh, look, I, in in principle and in theory, I'm all for uh, for recycling, and I, I, we go Greg. green, we go green. But yep, yep. Uh, anyway, yep. listen, I'll say thank Give you for your call. Medical and... marijuana, anyway, Greg. I think uh, I'm up something there. Yeah, mate, you and your pot smoking friends, you can forget about that. Not here to debate that with you at this Boys, stage of the game. Time, Greg. And our next caller, we've got Phyllis <laughs> calling from Epping. Hello. Phyllis. Oh man, uh, and it's like a drug. I just can't help myself. Okay, I've been toying over this, and I asked a couple of people around the office, I said, do you think there's a punchline in this? And they said, well, suck it and see. So I thought maybe I would, because Australian cops seize over $890 million worth of meth in bra inserts, one of the largest drug seizures in our country's history. So therein lies, will we get a punchline out of it? And obviously it's a serious thing, kids, all right? Don't hide drugs in your bra inserts. Which brings me to this. Oh, and I've got one. I don't know if there's any more. I know whenever I say that, I'll give you, you know, the opportunity to give me a punchline, and we get hundreds of people calling. That's why I think you may have something, but here's what I got. Australian police seize $890 million worth of meth in bra inserts. Take that, and you'll be off your tits. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, okay, all right, what do you got then? Mine is... The police said it was a huge bust. Oh, that's good! How did I you didn't even, not think, even of that? think of that one? Alright, one triple three five three. What's that, wow, a huge bust! That's fantastic! I bet everybody hates you now. Australian police seized nearly $800 million, $890 million to be precise, worth of meth hidden in bra inserts. Did they get off their tits? What's that, that was my one. Sammy X's was good as well. It was a huge bust. Hey, Richard. Great. Listen to you. You're so excited. You can barely contain yourself. Come on, man. Implants found in bras. Implants. Implants. It took me a while to weed that out. <laughs> Jaden. Yeah. Have you got one? People that did it, I guess they're now a silicon. 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 I can't get it. <laughs> 
Brad. I've got the ultimate sunshine. All right, hit me. Mash busters. Okay, then. Anthony. How are you, mate? They've been cryptic. Oh, I thought it was scintillating. Nice. Not worried. What have you got, Mark? I want to know, did they set a booby trap? Booby trap? It was there all along. <laughs> what have you got, Darren? How you going, Phil? First, I'd like to say, first time, long time. Well, I appreciate you getting through. What I wanted to say was the drug dealers, instead of making a dash for cash, all they got was the booby prize. Give yourself a pat on the back, Darren. Yeah, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. You got them. I thought there were none, but you found them. There they were. Hey, listen, do you ever catch the train? No, no, I can help it. I used to. Not now. Why? What's happened? Because you never know what you're going to get when you get on the train, but it's always eventful. And I was sitting there today, and this guy came up to me, and you know the guys always want to shake your hands, the ones that don't have teeth, but they've got a dirty old NRL top on? Always want to shake your hand. And he wanted to talk to me about, I don't know what it was, I think something to do with Newcastle Knights or something, and I couldn't get my phone out to record the conversation, so I'm going to reenact both parts for you. I'll play him and I'll play me, okay? All right, do it. Right, so I couldn't record it, so I'm going to be reenacting it. Me as me and me as him. Yeah, g'day, mate. How you going? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Um, how are you? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I've been a f- train base of the day, eh? Oh, yeah, sure. Cool. Mate, what about the f- Newcastle Knights, mate? That f- guy was right. Anybody put their f- money into that, mate, and the f- Newcastle Knights. You like sport, mate? No, no, not really, mate, no. What's your f- team, mate? What do, you, do you like the f- football? What about the f- Newcastle Knights, mate? Uh, no, mate. I, no, I probably wouldn't, mate. Anyway, mate, does f- matter, mate? You know why? No, no. No, nah, mate, so f- you know why? You know why? Why is that, mate? Because the f- earth's going to end anyway, mate, the f- end of the year, eh? Hey, hey, God's going to f- Kill us all, eh? Hey, hey, it doesn't matter what you do, mate. Hey, you know, this uh, red in the paper, eh? Hey, uh, December 21. We're all mate. The whole world's mate. So it doesn't matter, eh? Hey, hey. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, I think I read something about that. Anyway, mate, how'd you know I was from Newcastle? I'm sorry? How'd you know I was from Newcastle, mate? Uh, I'm sorry? How'd you know I was in Newcastle? Oh, I just, uh, just, uh, anyway, here's the. We're gonna get off here, I think. This is the train station. Here, to meet you, mate. Shake my hand. Mate, come on, shake my you always want to shake your hand. And by the way, remind me, I can do a pretty good Jimmy Barnes when I try. Spider Bait are on their 25th anniversary tour, presented by Triple M and Cram from Spider Bait's on the phone. They're playing the Trifford in Brisbane tonight. How are you, mate? All right. How you doing? Happy anniversary. Thanks a lot. Are you going to do the LRB song that we workshop? Happy anniversary, baby. baby. Got you Got on my mind. mind. How's the tour been going so far? It's been awesome. Amazing so far, yeah. So Brisbane tonight at the Trifford and I think tomorrow night as well? Yeah, we've got two nights here in Brizzy, so it'll be good. We're doing two shows in Melbourne, one in Sydney, and then we'll do another second show. We played in Adelaide last week. We're going to play in Adelaide again. Any surprises on this 25th anniversary tour that we can expect? Well, the biggest surprise is how many really old songs we're playing our first few records that we haven't played in like 15 years you know did you go back and rehearse some of the stuff had you forgotten it yeah no we had to like we just literally haven't played it for so long so we transformed ourselves back into that band that we we were when we started and it was yeah it was really fresh so it was good yeah we talked about that going back to the way it was when you first started out just getting that sort of raw feel of the stage and everything like that what's been the most fun to play so far all the classics i guess have been great but there's a couple of old songs of our first couple of records. F***ing Ace has been going down really good. It's a bit of a party vibe. And also Seven Dark Seven was a big surprise. It was such a weird, crazy 
strange arrangement song, but live it's just been going down really well. And some of the newer stuff off the last couple of records, it's, it's all been great. Yeah, as I said to you before, I thought the last album was fantastic and showed that you Thank still you. have as much excitement and energy within the band as you had when you first started all those Thanks years ago. Lot. Yeah, it's just something I think it comes from um, playing live, like still playing a lot of festivals and stuff here and there. I think we tend to just energise when we play together. Well, congratulations on the longevity, on the anniversary and the fact that you guys have still got the vibe as well. Always a pleasure, mate. Thanks a lot, Phil. Cheers, bro. Guy worked at the information department at a department store. I rang him up all in the name of good fun and he took it that way too. Hello, information department. Yeah, hi, mate. It's Phil here from Triple M. Yes. Now, when people go up tall buildings and then they put the money in binoculars, why is it the first thing they do is look down at things on the ground? Are you talking about binoculars that you've purchased in the store? After amphibians eat, then do they have to wait an hour before they get out of the water? Amphibians? We don't sell amphibians. This is you again, isn't it? If the FBI breaks your door down, do they have to pay for it? Uh, look, who the heck are you? Like, How come cartoon characters never change their clothes? Look, you're just going to stop this. Stop calling me. I don't know you. I don't like you. I don't want... Hello, information department. What would weigh more, a ton of feathers or a ton of rocks? Oh, look, just get out of here, will you? Just get a life. I don't understand how there can be self-help groups. You're the one who needs more help than anybody else. But what happens if you're scared to death twice? You can say anything you want, but just stop calling me. Hello, information department. If flying is so safe... Oh, get Why would they call the airport the terminal? Hello, information? Oh, yes, hello. Um, I was speaking with uh, a man before. Uh, Stan? Oh, Stan! Is that his name? He's not here. He's just at lunch at the moment. Okay, what time will he be back? Oh, about half an hour. Great, I'll call back. Thank you okay, very much. no worries. Hello, information department? If ice can burn... Oh, get out! ...can then fire freeze... Stan... How did you find out my name? Is it short for Stanley? None of your business! Hello, information department. Yes, hello. I bought a vacuum cleaner from you recently. I just wondered if you knew about warranty information. Uh, yes, all, all our products Stan? have a 12... It's you again, isn't it? Listen, just don't never, never, ever, 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 ever call me ever again! <clears throat> You may find this a bit disturbing. He held me. Go! I believe you are Triple M, the rubber room.